it. Like, it's genuinely upsetting. Yes, like, it is. It's, yes, yes. <laughs> it definitely is a real domestic drama at times. Very, yes, very, very soap opera melodrama. It's almost. like a Lifetime movie. Yeah, yeah, it does feel like a Vibe. Life, yeah. Yeah. It's wild, it, man. Not, not, not great. But um, Let's get to there's it. a lot of things about it. Yeah. 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 Well, hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where we gather around a table and we discuss films you'll never discuss in a film studies course. Look at me like that. Did you almost say the Good Trash Ganja Cast? Gon- <laughs> Gon- I, I think I just hard G the genre. That's, yeah. how we're, that's how we're getting money now. Yeah. <laughs> welcome to Oklahoma. Oklahoma single handedly. Yeah, we're going to become a narco state, keep this economy afloat. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, we discuss films you'll never discuss in film studies course, and we are back to uh, our regular tricks, and we are definitely doing that with this film tiptoes i am still dustin i'm still arthur i am still Dalton. and we have a special guest host with us today can you identify yourself please i am nick sanford nick sanford is a great friend of the show a local filmmaker and uh, just all around good guy we're so glad to have you here man well thank you for having me uh, we are going to be talking about this movie, but we got to warn you, dear listener, that this is an announced show, not a review show. That means we are going to spoil the end. We're going to find... Uh, man, the jokes you could make about the fake, fake end of the movie with other movie references are all insensitive. I can't wait to talk about the end of this movie. Uh, yes. I'm, I'm baited breath, seriously. So we're going to find out um, many, many things, but we're going to preserve your ears from the end of this film for the third of this podcast. And it's going to look like this. We're going to have our quick thumbs up thumbs down reviews we're going to then move on to a little game we like to call expanding the syllabus where in which we will uh try to teach this movie class and what it might look like then we move on to our game which will be all analysis and that's when all spoiler bets off so that's your warning with the kicky music to let you know know that we have got down to business so without any further ado um arthur delight us please with your synopsis when steven's girlfriend reveals that she is pre- he is forced to confront a deep-seated fear that he comes from a family of little people, which could affect their little bundle of joy. <laughs> well, well, damn, you got their asses, Arthur. <laughs> All right, we're going to do thumbs up, thumbs down, and reviews. Are we? We are. Uh, and I want to go to Nick first, because you requested this movie, you requested to be on this show, and so I wanted to know, do you I'm like... I'm a little in the corner, but... Why Why do you like this, or why do you want to talk about... Or I don't know, What? what is it... How bad do you hate? How bad do you love it? I don't get flummoxed easily. That's not a word that I like to throw around. But uh, flummoxed? Yes, flummoxed. But this film flummoxes me. Uh, I did not know it existed until uh, uh, October of last year. Someone texted me a link to the trailer and said, "Have you heard of this?" And I said, "No, I have not." Twenty minutes later, I was on Amazon Prime watching it for free. <laughs> Thankfully, the good people at Amazon have let us watch this film for free. If you are a Prime member, which I am. Uh, and I can't, I mean, I can never believe what I'm seeing when I'm, while I'm watching it. Um, <laughs> it's, it's wild. I mean, I, 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 I can't even give it thumbs up or thumbs down. Two knees down because you're shut, you know, shuffling around <laughs> on your knees. But as far as, I mean, it's just, it's, it's just in its own little corner of the universe. And, uh, and I think, and it's, it's been buried, you know, cause I mean, it's not, Three Academy Award winners, you know, out of the like the, the top four <laughs> titled cast, and uh, no one seems to. I didn't know it existed till six months ago. I've seen it twice now. Um, I'm not bored when I'm watching it, which <laughs> I think is I think is something. But uh, yeah, it's just it's it's just wild, and there's truly not another film that exists like it. And we all need to be talking more about it. Um, you know what? That's good. Good. Well done. Well done. Um, Dalton, tell me of your love or hate of Tiptoes. I've been aware 
of this little entity for a little longer than Nick um, because I'm cool and plugged in, I guess. I don't know. I had to, as soon as I said that, I was like, I got to undercut that. I'm just like, mm-hmm. yeah, talking about how smart and uh, aware of You're bullshit just with I am. It, man. It's because of uh, how did this get made? Uh, oh, yeah. Paul Shear, Jason Manzukis, June and Ray Raphael pods where they watch sort of. And this, that's why I was interested to watch this. This is sort of outside of our usual. You know, we we like the good trash, but we don't go into how did this get made territory very often. And I was I was very excited. The, the trash, trash, yeah, perhaps? yeah. Sort of the the trash oddities, the the, the misfires, the um, well, in this case, sort of uh, uh, you know ideas that uh, were aborted on the runway uh, and cobbled <laughs> together and turned into something else. Uh, it is just so clearly a film that has another hour of movie somewhere uh, that we'll never see. Allegedly, Peter Dinklage thinks that's a good cut of his film. That's that's what the uh, the apocalypse tells us. I, I you know, it screened at Buttnumathon on back when Ain't It Cool News was still a thing. Um, I think South By also, is that where you said, Arthur? Sundance. Sundance. It was screened at Sundance, but that was the 90-minute, That think. was the 90-minute cut? Yeah, so it's just such an ill-advised endeavor. from Jump Street to have Gary Oldman shuffling around on his knees uh, like a child uh, and, you know, to to have him play somebody from a a marginalized community that he's not a part of. You know, that's, that's, you know, classic Hollywood stuff we know is bad. You don't need me to tell you that. But that doesn't... The intellectual knowledge of that being bad cannot prepare you for, for watching it 90 minutes. It is just like he's hanging out with Peter Dinklage, Emmy nominated, Emmy winning? I mean, nominated at least actor, yeah. uh, you know, a, a true thespian, you know, truly a, some awards for that Game of Thrones, right? Yeah, I think I'm pretty sure he got some some Lannister Emmys or something. Emmys. I don't know. Yeah, I I know he's pulled down some trophies. But my point is, like, like a thespian, every bit the caliber of Gary Oldman, and he's just like having to take his coworker seriously on his knees, pretending he's he he knows what his life is like, and it's just. Man, it's it's a weird experience to watch. Yeah. Made more odd by the, the fact that you can tell the originally intended product has like, like a fairly, you know, grounded tone. There's some like mad camp ant in the movie that like, well, clearly they shot that. That's that existed within whatever the larger idea was before the director kind of unceremoniously got, got fired. Um but it's just like the movie they've tried to create is so tonally different from the the heavy drama scenes that what you called off air you or I guess right as we were started rolling you called melodramatic mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's very apt because uh, it is it is sort of very big uh, and just kind of two acting styles that don't really match like Beckinsale and and McConaughey are doing two very different versions of distraught that don't quite go together. Uh, and, and that's again those those scenes like the moments when the film like most almost comes together to be about something uh, about you know adults uh, of average height having this existential moment about their their new child and like that's interesting. There's there's something there for a moment, and then we're on to some more antics with Patricia Arquette and Peter Dinklage, and you're like, well, that seems like a cool movie too, but I don't know if it's this movie. <laughs> Uh, yeah, <laughs> weird shit. Also, uh, Gary Oldman, bad boyfriend. Uh, you know, obviously it sucks that he got cheated on, but like the, the whole, the whole way that, that that scene goes down in the apartment, 
bananas. Yes. Truly wild shit in this film that you will not be able to unsee. Uh, <laughs> but as I say this, I feel the need to warn you. I, I disagree with Nick. I do think it's kind of boring sometimes. And that's that is a, a sin it commits in my book. It is not so bad. It's good. It is just kind of bad and boring at times. At times, though, there are there are moments where you're like, whoa, what what if this were an hour longer and like a little more serious? What would this be like? Still a misfire, but like a much more interesting one that would probably come closer to some kind of like, you know, I don't know, human truth. Whereas this is, you know, just a, well, a producer's cut. And we know how those go uh, more often than not. Yeah. Uh, Art, how about you? Were you aware of this already? Did you know the reputation of Tiptoes? We had heard about it maybe within the last few years. I can't remember exactly. So it's been on my radar as as a thing. Um and so it's always kind of been circling on the outer sphere of when could we do that on the show? Sure. Because it seems right for us to talk about. Um, and so, yeah, I was aware of it. And it, it, I mean, to Nick's point, it is just this bizarre anomaly that just exists on the outside of the film universe in some way that nobody knows it's there. <laughs> it just has a little bubble. Um, but what I mean, yeah, it's, it's a who's who cast. At, and then Nick, I can't remember you mentioned this already, but when you pointed it out when we were talking, um, you know, some of these people are like in their primes. Like, Back and Sale just is about to do Underworld or just did Underworld. Yeah, right? it, was, it was like just about to come, to come out. She does Serendipity. So she's yeah. a big name. Lisa McConaughey is doing really well. Oldman's doing pretty good for himself. Oldman is, when this comes out, Oldman is two years away from being in Batman Begins. Like, yeah. Well, and he's coming off of a 90s that's like. Yeah. Just throwing hit, hit after hit. Yeah. 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 Just like the the villain of the 90s. Yeah. I mean, giving a. Uh, Even David Allen Greer for like. like sure. I mean, was yeah, like a thing. Scene. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, it's such an anomaly. Uh, I don't know that I can add anything else because it's fascinating to watch. I I told Dustin this off air a couple days ago. Like, I'm really kind of interested in the director's cut. Like, I would watch it. I would. Hard. Yeah. Because I'm. I think there are things in this, but it's just so chopped to bits that it is just a uh, sharp pinpoint roller coaster of tonal whiplash just from like not even scene to scene, but within scenes. You said it, man. It yeah. just shifts so hard sometimes like, wait, what? Uh-huh. You were just mad at them. And then, you know, McConaughey shows up to a party with a girl like, are you like coming to make her jealous or, oh no, she's going to try to hook up with David Allen Greer maybe? Like, I don't know what's happening. And then suddenly, this, was like, yeah. And then you got a French Marxist Peter Dinklage running around uh, in his own world. Wee oui, wee. Oui. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's one of those things that when you find out about it, you just kind of want to see it because there's nothing else really like it. And so... Um, those sort of curios are always fascinating, uh, but it's, it's not good. Uh, uh, but I think there are things about it that could have been good. And so I don't know. Uh, it's, you know, I hate this for, uh, you know, really kind of ruined Bright's career as director. Yeah. Um, unfortunately. Uh, and so what could have been maybe right. But woof, it's, it's, I don't know. Dustin? Yeah. You loved it, right? I mean, you so, were texting us commentary of how much you were enjoying it. I wish I had seen the 150-minute <laughs> cut because I have now seen the 90-minute cut, and there's no way I'll go back. And I, I, I think the promise of it being better is there. But what I got 
Couldn't be you though. Man. The worst sizzle reel ever. Man, it's just it is. Well, I, I never was bored because it was watching the train wreck the whole time, and That's I was fair. I was there for that. Um, and so, yeah, never. I mean, my eyes were glued. I was not distracted. My phone never got picked up because I couldn't. I just didn't know what was going to happen next. Um, and I, I'm there's a weird way in which you become complicit in some of its problems because one of the things that I, I really found myself really struggling with was how impressed I was with Gary Oldman's performance. As an actor, I mean, just, you know, the, the humanity he get, gives the character to Rolf sure. is really compelling, and yet it's also offensive. And <laughs> I didn't like how that made me feel. Uh, and so, the, well, not a good time. I, same with McConaughey. McConaughey is, like, working. Well, is he? I don't For know. me, he's yeah. like, he, I, I look at that dude, and I'm like, yeah, that guy's been up at the hospital for four days and has not slept and is uh, at his wit's end and, and can't even articulate why. I guess if the movie had let you know somehow he'd been there for four days, but it was just all of a sudden he's there and it's just like, you're just, you're playing. Well, yeah, yeah. The, the, this is, of course, being between the lines because, mm-hmm. yeah, that's not. It's not on the text. Yeah, it is just on his face. But I, I get what you're saying. The, the movie like has these moments where actors are doing real shit. Yeah, and I think uh, McConaughey goes hard for sure for what he's doing. He's just he's, he's underwritten and maybe over edited. I mean, is, is certainly part of the problem there. But I, I just don't understand him. I, I, I think yeah. I know why he's acting the way he's acting, but I actually don't know. And I. The movie, as is, does not create in me a generosity to give him the benefit of the doubt, de- the character, the benefit mm-hmm. of the doubt, to understand that extra depth, if that makes sense. And so that's where it, that's where it fails for me. Um, Dinklage is great. Patricia Arquette is having a good time. I'm not sure she's good, but, but she's having a great time uh, in what she's doing, and I, I enjoy watching that. Um, love to see Michael J. Anderson, um, one of my favorite little people uh, actors. Uh, yeah, and as soon as he showed up, I was like, oh, yeah. Dustin's going to have a bit of a Twin Peaks yeah. moment. Well, you know, I really wanted more for him because he's got such charisma. I mean, you know, he does that little strange character that he does in the Twin Peaks universe, and he comes comes back and plays the, uh, the Tin Man producer character in Mulholland Drive, uh, which is a, a fun way where he does long tall face i i i mean yeah with gary oldman's doing a short face i guess that would that would be tall tall face, face? Yeah, i don't know I don't, yeah it's a different it's a different thing uh, yeah it is very much of a different thing but no, no, nonetheless um he, he really does have a lot of charisma as an actor you know not just sort of doing the kooky weird kind of gag stuff mm-hmm. uh, that you sometimes see well, little people cast as uh, for for the sake of doing right, and uh, and so I really wanted more of those scenes. I mean, there there were parts of the movie that I really was kind of taken with. I really wanted the zany comedy too. I mean, the zany comedy seconds, moments, bits are funny. Um, that fight scene in Sally's apartment is bananas. And I can get on board with a stupid, salacious, and somewhat upsetting, you know, sort of thematic kind of comedy if it was that all the way through, but it wasn't. And I could have got on board with a really sort of deep family melodrama dealing with a social problem, but it just, it wasn't. And yeah, that, I mean, I am, I'm glad I watched it because it is so bizarre. It's such an oddity, such a curio, but um, did I, no, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> not, 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 not even a little bit. Um, but that being said, uh, there you go, dear listener. Those are our general thoughts, pro and con, mostly con, uh, regarding tip, tiptoes. We're going to go on to the next part of our show, which is called Expanding the Syllabus, and Dalton's going to tell you what that's all about. That's right, Dustin. This is the part of the show where we deliver on the promise of our premise. We're going to talk about the films you wouldn't discuss in a film studies course, uh, but we're going to do it in a film studies course type way. This week, 
tiptoes. And we're going <laughs> to tiptoe around some issues and try and justify bringing this into an academic setting and I would tell you we'll tell you what we would pair with it to kind of flesh it out and make a make a case for for discourse or academic discourse how in the world would you do that so I thought about this and I, th- I think the answer is pretty obvious uh, for for me anyway and that's uh, I think we're gonna take a look at look at representing whiffs in American culture uh, and and just sort of have ourselves a talk <laughs> what we have at different points in history thought it was okay to allow actors to do. Now, there's a lot of historical examples. Dustin's beloved touch of evil comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Charlton Heston playing a Mexican sheriff. So we should probably deal with that one. <laughs> Charlton Heston's a pretty... He has a mustache. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Charlton Heston's a pretty good uh, prime <laughs> offender here. We can also talk about the long, long history of wasps playing Jews in, in American films. I mean, that's, that's you know, well-documented. But the ones that I have for you are sort of some, some modern... Uh, wacky ones, let's say. Uh, we've, we of course have, uh, what do you say about Aloha? Uh, you know, it's, you, you, you hate to see a director of such note laid so low, but Cameron Crowe's Aloha features Miss Stone playing a, uh, Hawaiian, a native Hawaiian person, uh, API person, uh, of some kind. Emma uh, Stone? Miss Stone, yeah. The, the redhead. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's sort of gangly. Northwest uh, European-looking person, pasty ginger, a person yeah. that looks yeah. like my my relatives. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's playing a Hawaiian uh, in that movie. Uh, we, we also, of course, have the weirdness of Scarlett Johansson and Ghost in the Shell, which they try to hand wave away within the text, as I understand it. Uh, a film that I need to catch up with on, on both counts. Uh, Dallas Buyers Club. You know, we've got the Jared Leto performance in that, and McConaughey again showing up to try to make an issue movie. You have to admire the sensitivity of the man, but you don't have to admire his taste. Uh, he is not always uh, known for picking good projects. Uh, you know, who, who among us is, is without mistakes on it? Uh, this one's kind of a weird one, and I think would be fun to analyze a little bit more. Community, mm. uh, the the sitcom. Mm-hmm. There's some moments here that are... So you have uh, Kim Jong, a Korean man playing... Uh, Bin Chang, a Chinese teacher, and they sort of have fun with that. There's a couple of like scenes that I would pick where uh, Kim Jong will all break the fourth wall and joke about feeling Korean, and everybody's like, "You're Chinese," and he'll be like, "I can't tell the difference." You know, there's there's sort of you know gags with on you know American cultural gag within there, but then there's these moments where they uh, go, "Don't worry, Danny Pudi's not actually uh, mm. uh, South Asian. Uh, don't worry about it. He's he's actually Arab." <laughs> and so there's a, like a, a bit where it talks about there being no. Uh, Asian Americans represented at the table, and it's just like like weird to have Danny Pooh sitting there. It's just like, oh, this is just weird South Asian erasure. What are we doing? Uh, so I think there's some, like you don't need to even watch any one of these all the way through. I think Cloud Atlas we could do maybe mm. all of, or because mm. I think Cloud Atlas when you have the full context, you have a film that makes you go, okay. There's a world where we could maybe do this. There's a world where this sort of like identity swapping. You know, identity politics trading is like is something that we could aspire to. But I think it is also a great example of why we live in that world. <laughs> and that's Cloud Atlas's like great failing is that it doesn't ultimately work. And that sort of identity swapping things. But I love that movie. And I think it's kind of like the best example of like, OK, here's a movie that's like a huge open heart and is trying to say something about our shared humanity and how these these things, you know, uh, ability 
uh, ethnicity, uh, age, these, these things, you know, sexuality, these things separate us and, and, you know, are constructs that we kind of create to keep us apart from one another. Uh, and yet <laughs> you have, uh, Hugo weaving in yellow face. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, that that's not, that's probably the worst one. Uh, but there's a lot of race swapping going in that movie. That's, you know, interesting. Uh, it is something to talk about. Uh, so I think that this is what I, I guess if we want another like ability focused one, uh, I think what's eating Gilbert Grape is sort of a prime example cool. of like when we, we, you know, you know, the bit from Tropic Thunder, you know, that that bit, I yeah. think we can kind of talk about sort of our collective realizing that we shouldn't have actors of uh, average and above average intellectual ability playing people with intellectual handicaps. I think we've we've all agreed that that's not good anymore. But, but Gilbert Grape is a performance that for Leo got like a lot of very serious critical yeah. notes when it came out. Like, like it was very widely regarded as a good performance. And I think is a very interesting one for us to kind of crack open. If we want to focus strictly on like the ability disability side of this, like representation issue, uncomfortable class, everyone's butts are tighter. Now we don't like it. (laughs) We got to talk about these weird cultural oddities because like our culture hates them. So we have to understand where they come from and why we shouldn't be doing them. (laughs) That's very, very funny. Well, Arthur, make us happier. Um, I I think I might be able to do that. Let's see See if you can. Um, Yeah. I I think I would talk about this from a production standpoint and thinking about uh, how production happens, uh, producers coming in, studios coming in, the kind of long history of, of this. Uh, and first, I think we start talking with uh, about John Ford and Alfred Hitchcock, uh, two directors notably who learned how to film so that they could reserve uh, a master cut of the film without having to worry about interference. Um, with Hitchcock, we may talk about Rebecca specifically because this is where he's working with... Um, Oh my gosh. Uh, David O'Selznick. Yeah, O'Selznick. Um, and notably has a bad experience doing so. And from there learns how to, you know, shoot in the camera, edit in camera um, to get the only the footage he needs uh, to put his movie together. Uh, we're talking, we're going to talk about Terry Gilliam. We're going to talk about Brazil. A sure. noted um, it, uh, problematic production history there and getting that released. And Gilliam's long history of this sort of uh, fight with studios and with the producers to get his vision made uh, and then released. We've got to talk about Adventure, I think, in Alien 3. Uh, his big first is there working with the studio and the bad taste it leaves in his mouth uh, in doing that. Um, we're going to talk, uh, we're, we're going to do, uh, Zach, sir. We're, we're going to talk about Justice League. Sure. And the Snyder Cut. Sure. And everything that entails and online uh, bot. Uh, movements and uh, whatever happened Flash to Warner Brothers and Joss Speed Whedon Force. and yeah, I love um, everything that comes along with that. So we'd, we'd look at uh, the uh, theatrical cut of uh, Justice League and the Snyder cut of, of Justice League to think about that. Um, we would talk a little bit about Netflix directing deals because we've talked a bit in the past about Sometimes you need uh, studio notes. Uh, sometimes the director shouldn't be uh, let off of his leash. Yeah. Um, and so we'd typically be looking at Mute from Duncan Jones and Bright from David Ayer uh, to talk about that. And then... Uh, Why would you want to talk about those movies and directors <laughs> not having pure, pure free Arthur? I don't know. You know, I don't know. It was either that aroma, you know? Um, and then from there... Uh, I wanted to talk about what's about to maybe be a new trend, and that is the sold direct cut. Uh, and so I wanted to talk about Ridley Scott and Napoleon, and I want to talk about, again, Zack Snyder and uh, Rebel Moon, um, both of which have already promised director's cuts on streaming platforms if they got their theatrical, which is just 
a bizarre deal to make. Um, what a time to be so alive. I'm just, you know, fast. I've always kind of been fascinated by studio interference and, and producer producing interference. Also understanding he says, sometimes you got to rein them in. Like, yeah, not everybody has the best ideas. Like you got to have some people to kind of bounce things around and, and maybe. I think a great example of this is uh, the one I always go to anyways, the, the aliens, uh, James Cameron cut. Which adds like another twenty minutes of texture to the colony. Mm. Don't need it. Get rid of it. But yeah. it's nice. Yeah, it, yeah. it's it's kind of nice, but it slows the movie yeah. down. The, mm. It just like really kind of robs it of some of its momentum. Yeah. I, I think you're right. Sometimes somebody's got to be there steadying the hand. Yeah. So that's what we do. Then. Very good. Very good. Um. Hey, hey Nick. Um. Mm. Are you? How would you teach this thing if you were teaching it? Uh, sure. Uh. Yeah. So this is maybe low hanging fruit, but it paradoxically is also kind of the premise of the show uh this is going to be the value of a bad movies 101 uh, yes. obviously we're going to start off with plan nine from base directed by edward d wood jr a, a good film movie. That, a good movie yes i watched it for the first time the other night i mean i get you know why it became what it became but i didn't really i was just kind of like it's it's funny seeing like the airplane of a cabin you know with like curtains behind it and they're on like you know wood chairs whatever but but I kind of feel like there is some truth to that film kind of being the thing that sort of grows the, you know, the idea of like a cult classic or, mm-hmm. you know, appreciating bad movies. I believe uh, it was a film critic in 1980 named Michael Medved, something like mm-hmm. that. Medved. Yeah. Who uh, who listed it, who, who you know, claimed that Plan 9 from Outer Space was the worst movie ever made. From there, the cult instantly grew from it and kind of, you know, started normalizing an appreciation for mm. movies like this. Um, Medved almost always has the wrong take on movies, by the way. Okay, yeah. yeah. I, I, had, I, I had never heard of them, but um, yeah. Uh, then we're going to talk about what makes a bad movie. We're going to delineate the difference between trash, uh, you know, mediocre, like Nine Lives, where, you know, the movie where Kevin Spacey... Uh, becomes a cat and then actual <laughs> bad movies which is you know dialogue that doesn't make sense uh you're you know spoken in ways that people people don't speak uh you know narrative cohesion lack thereof stuff like that then we're gonna jump into uh noel marshall's roar which came out, out in 1980 <laughs> uh, a, film. a classic about uh you know what happens when you shove your children in front of tigers and elephants and then point a camera at it uh and the thing that, that resulted from that uh, then we're going to jump into Night Beast from 1982, directed by Don Domer. Um, bad in di- different ways. I mean, it's 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 a cheap, shitty uh, kind of monster. It's not really a slasher, but it's, you know, alien from another, you know, whatever. Uh, all night scenes are like lit by like, like headlights and stuff like it, it's it's that kind of thing. But um, but it's an interesting corner of this whole bad movie, you know, whatever. Then we're going to read a book. This might be community college, but we're still going to read in this own course. <laughs> we're going to read Junk Film by, by Catherine Coldiron, um, which basically, you know, goes into the ways that you can appreciate bad movies beyond. I mean, sure, there's the schadenfreude, there's the irony, there's get, get the friends together and let's make fun of it. But, you know, the value of, of stuff like this. Uh, next, we're going to have to go into The Room by Tommy Wiseau. It's kind of hack now because, you know, James Franco kind of made it a little too mm-hmm. popular and cool. And now it's just like not as whatever. But it is instrumental in the canon of, you know, quote unquote, bad movies. And, uh, you know, got to look at it. Then we're going to go into Tiptoes. But before we go into Tiptoes, we're going to look at Matthew Bright's first movie, Freeway, starring Reese Witherspoon and Keith Sutherland. If you don't know what it is, 
it's pure trash. It is not bad. It's, I would argue, good trash. It's mm. basically Kiefer Sutherland uh, is targeting Reese Witherspoon. Kiefer Sutherland plays a necrophilic pedophile. And Reese Witherspoon is so Kiefer Sutherland. Yes, so Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland from the nineties, and the and and Reese Witherspoon uh, will take none of it, and she'll kill whoever she has to kill to get what she wants. It's a baffling movie, but it's for what it is. This lurid subject matter. It is incredibly well done. Uh, I would, and it's, and we'll talk about this kind of after you know this portion of the show. But the style of way Matthew Bright's approach to it is Todd Phillips ripping off Tarantino ripping off William Friedkin I'll take it if Tarantino made a movie where he ripped off William Friedkin and then Todd Phillips wanted to rip off that Tarantino movie that's what Freeway is you know it's got like the sort of cool rock and roll whatever like Mm -hmm. the real gritty like yeah one of these guys you know there's pedophiles everywhere you know the Friedkin thing and all that and it's well done he knows what he's doing there and then into tiptoes once he starts trying to get into actual, you know, stuff like actual issues and, and emotions beyond just, you know, I'm making because, you know, Freeway is intentionally offensive. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's like he made a list kind of like Todd Phillips. I'm going to make a list out of everything that, you know, modern audiences find spickable and we're going to, you know, find a way to make to make it into whatever. And he knows how to do that. Get into tiptoes, it just doesn't work. Now, I read something on the Wikipedia for tiptoes where Matthew Bright, apparently his initial inspiration for tiptoes was... I want to get this right because this is pretty dicey wordage. It's something to the effect that, yeah, uh, the thing about like cops or the producer of cops came in. It's like his initial... It's Yeah, 30 years. So Matthew Bright conceived this film when he was 18 as a raucous comedy about... Little people um, having sex with each other. Uh, 30 years after the screenplay was written, Bright's stepfather gave a copy of the script to Cops creator John Ling, who was interested in producing Tiptoes. Yes. Wow. So it starts off like that. I'm going to make this really gross, you know, whatever. Halfway through, it, you know, I don't remember what you guys Little said. Little people's exploitation. Yes. Um, halfway through, it's like, ooh, what if we try to do something with it? And the fact that they got all of these big actors in their prime who sign on means that maybe something was there somehow to, you know, Kate Beckinsale in 2001, 2002 doesn't sign on just because she's blackmailed or whatever, probably. Uh, I read she did it for scale if she could wear her lucky hat. Yeah, so yeah, I, I want to believe great that's story. true. I want to believe it's true. <laughs> but yeah. the producers didn't like it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, so yeah, and and dive, dive into the production, really, of all of these, what happened with them. Uh, next, we're going to take a look at Grindhouse, which is what happens when good directors intentionally make, you know, bad ever. Now, mm-hmm. I, I think Grindhouse is more adjacent to, uh, you know, a lot of bad cinema because it really, I think, belongs more in the trash camp. But it's still worth considering why did these guys want to do what they did. Next, we're going to look at a film uh, that came out just last year in 2003 called No Disrespect. In my opinion, it is the <laughs> best bad movie uh, really in years that I've seen. It's slowly starting. Yeah, you were posting some clips of this yeah, on Instagram. Slowly yeah. starting to become a cult. Uh, you know, the memes are already popping up on Instagram and all that. You probably have seen, seen them. Uh, you know, there's a whole bit of, you know, the house, the food on the table, all financed by my dick. It's it's insanity. The whole <laughs> Yes, that is 15 seconds of this 90 minute movie uh, that, that 
tries to uh, be kind of like a boys in the hood type, you know, like, you know, raw look at a you know, particular lifestyle. Uh, by the end, it's trying to be the departed with twist after twist and betrayal after betrayal. It's it's truly insane. Uh, there's even a thing where they're talking about, gee, wouldn't it be great to be able to uh, uh, curve bullets like in Wanted? And then they do that. It's like these <laughs> sort of Adobe After Effects, you know, like muzzle flag. Like, it's it's crazy. I mean, it, it is yeah. truly, it's, it's a bonkers-ass movie that I think, you know, to me, deserves to be kind of one of the, the leading, you know, bad movies of our generation. And the reason to go into all of this beyond the shot and Friday, beyond the irony, you know, to appreciate them for what they are, is I want to dig into the actual productions of all of these things because no one sets out to make a bad movie. There is a reason all of this happened, and if we look hard enough, we will be able to find it. And then once we understand these films, we can better understand each other. And maybe if we dig into this stuff enough, the world gets fixed. We fix Ukraine. We fix North Korea. <laughs> we bring in peace to the Middle East. Back to you, Dustin. <laughs> Thank you very much for that, Mr. Nick Sanford. I do want to mention a book that might also help there. Why it's okay to love, to love bad movies uh, by Matthew Stroll. It's actually a dissertation, and uh, as one of my sources, and he gives a taxonomy for like the good, bad, the bad, bad, yeah. and, the, and then the bad, good. And the sort of ways in which you watch movies, like loving loving them despite how bad they are, loving them because they're bad, mm-hmm. and the sort of uh, read response theory kind of that he does yeah. uh, with that. And so I just want to mention that because I think it's a fun pair of what you're talking about. Yeah. Because I think the viewing strategies with a bad movie are different. Because you think about people who love Troll 2, yeah, it's bad, but they love how bad it is, right? As opposed to... Oh gosh, I don't even know people who people who appreciated Alien Three. You know, they 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 yeah. they are saying that no, there's something else going on here. There's something that makes it more interesting because of what's happening here. That, that there's a there's a different kind of pleasure to be derived from it than the traditional uh, sort of uh, Hollywood style of film. Well, I think even if you want to look at Hollywood style of filmmaking and, and like another recent example, you know, next 2023 example with no, no disrespect, like I've got Five Nights at Freddy's right there, which sure. is. You know, got the fan fandom that mm-hmm. sort of props up, and I think you probably have within that fandom people who think it's bad and don't mind that, and folks who go, "No, this is actually great because it gave us everything we wanted from a, a movie adaptation yeah. of this." Yeah, yeah, and and so yeah, I mean, there 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 are subtle gradations there yeah. in, in just the way in which we watch these things, and I I, I do think that one of the values of thinking about that is. We are to, we're gaining greater empathy with each other for liking what we like, but also with the filmmakers. And a more empathy, as you say, is kind of a good thing. Thing. I mean, it sounded bollock as Nick saying it, but it kind of is a thing. So, well done, sir. Thank you. I'm very, 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 very happy to hear that. Now, uh, for my syllabus, it's kind of a tag on to what Dalton was saying. He was talking about misses in terms of just movies that are making like the bad choice and uh, big, big swing bad choice by using the sort of uh, wonky representation. I want to think about the movies that, that make a social problem the the focus, and then they miss the point that they're trying to get across. So, like, there's a way in which they they fail in uh, being able to do what they need to do uh, with the movie. And so, this movie seems to be something about less prejudice, more justice, and empathy and care for little people. And it's just a sort of disaster. And there are movies that do this kind of thing over and over again. Uh, one good example of this, Alton already mentioned it, is Dallas Buyers Club, yeah. which is a sort of HIV-AIDS uh, sort of problem story. But it comes, I don't know, it really it becomes hero vehicle for Matthew McConaughey's character. Well, which isn't is, it great that when this uh, homophobic cowboy got AIDS, he 
learn to yeah. see humanity of queer people. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> kind of. Which is oftentimes <laughs> the, the, the way in which we have that problem. I mean, yeah. you could also look at uh, the cr- the Crash movie, the Oscar winner Crash uh, mm-hmm. with Sandra Bullock, and also, uh, to bring Sandy up once again, the blind side. Mm-hmm. Uh, other... Oh, you know what I mean? The movie that, that didn't age well. Hit. <laughs> well, it, it, it wants to do something that just doesn't. It, it just doesn't do the thing it wanted to do. And uh, thinking about these sort of failures, and I think uh, there's a there's a course we could we could make this into a module, yeah. which is like the course is called the failures of cinema. And we could talk about, I mean, obviously, like, flops. And so you could talk about huge budgets, a movie like Waterworld with Kevin Costner and its failures and whatnot. But I think a, a fun module would, would be to have is just failed cho- choices that have not st- stood the test of time in mm. Dalton's module there. And then for my module here is movies that wanted to sort of move a needle and might have actually worked the wrong way. Yeah, it, I like the ways in which ours overlap and don't overlap, which yeah. I think is fun. And I think, yeah, they build on each other, Yeah, which is uh, a lot of fun there. So um, there you go, dear listener. I think your syllabus just got a bit longer, but I believe now it's time we get down to this. That, um, do, do, does anybody else have any, any examples that come to mind sort of social issues movies that just missed the mark entirely I mean Driving Miss Daisy sure and we talked about Green Book on Drive Green here. Book yeah would be a good example Hillbilly Elegy oh sure I haven't seen it because yeah. I don't care but no fuck that guy forever day uh, but yeah, yeah I mean J.D. Vance's whole like worldview misses the point of the opiate epidemic in some ways uh but yeah for, for sure well i was just say you, you kind of think fondly back on poitier and uh i guess coming to dinner and sure uh, and then the heat of the night but those are both kind of coming at a point where there's about to, about to be a pretty great shift mm-hmm. uh and kind of historians and i think critics kind of omit that uh, admit that um those aren't actually weren't actually effective as social problem films in the time mm-hmm. because the world was at a much different place than where Poitier was wanting to be. And, and the, a lot of the black community were already kind of starting to turn on Poitier mm-hmm. and what he represented on screen. Or even a movie like The Long Weekend where this guy goes on this sort of alcoholic problems film and it becomes mm-hmm. a sort of hilarious like to watch while you're drinking with your friends movie. You know, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> the other... Well, that was kind of like my thing with uh, is it Don Reef John? Madness is another example. Of that, yeah. yeah, is Don oh, John the one with yes uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt? Which I was like blank check. Yeah, I think that's like like a, a admirable thing that he's doing. Right, the fantasies that rom coms and pornography can create, but but then it just so gratuitous as well. Like it feels a little cake and eat it too in mm-hmm. a way that I always thought was a, a bit backhanded in what it was trying to do. Yeah, I've always been, I need to catch up with that because yeah. I've, I've been interested in it for those reasons. It's, yeah. it's sort of, yeah, it's, a, no, 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 I don't know anybody that like defends that movie, but I know a lot of people who are kind of interested in its, mm-hmm. its ideas. It is, it is in some ways you could say a failure of, I don't want to say failure film as a medium, but maybe a failure of sort of autorism or single-mindedness, like the single author within film. All these things we talk about come from, as you know, Nick kind of pointed out, a lack of empathy in some cases. Mm-hmm. It is it is saying, I think I have the the sociological or psychological imagination to step into this person's shoes and tell their story. 
And a lot of the time, that is not the case. It's one thing yeah. to try and imagine what it's like to be somebody else. It's another thing to speak for them. Right. And I think that's that's the figure of a lot of these films is, is you know, it's, it's you know, there, there are examples of, of filmmakers. I think Spielberg, somebody that gets talked about a lot, for like Amistad and Color Purple and, and trying to talk about other stories of oppression outside of his community. And... I'm not saying that these things can't happen and, sure. and, and be good. Because I think as an, I think Spielberg is a good example of somebody who does an effective job there. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. And and then there's the and yet of it all, though, mm-hmm. I guess, where that shows, like, we got a lot more examples of uh, of, of the whiffs, probably, right. than we do have the, the successes. So it's sort of just an interesting problem. Well, even kind of in the middle of all of that right now is Scorsese with Killers yeah. of the Flower Moon. It right, be sure. Title. Sure. Some people are on board with and some people are not on board with. Um, yeah, that's a great example. And I've got all the answers for that. That's now we're kind of having this conversation the other day before we really watched the movie. Because the other kind of element of filmmaking is the idea of like, if you want to secure financing, you need movie a name. Stars, yeah, you right. need Gary Oldman yeah. playing this part. And so that's also like, you know, not to excuse anything, right? Yeah, but really I mean, that is also the business side of it that I think leads to a lot of this is, you know, does Killers of the Flower get made without Scorsese behind it, you well, know? I was talking about this with some of our mutual friend Griff and, and Ferrari, which this is, you know, Adam Driver playing Italian Enzo Ferrari is obviously like, like a less egregious example of this, but he, he was, he was, you know, kind of lamenting to me, why do we, why him? Why Shane Lane Woodley? Why, why Penelope Cruz? Why all these people that are, are not Italian surrounded by an Italian actor and, mm-hmm. and McDreamy, I always forget that he's kind of rounds <laughs> out that cast. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know what to tell you, man. That's movies for you. Like, mm-hmm. I agree it's stupid. I agree it like... That's how they get sold to sales yeah. agents. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I agree, like, verisimilitude-wise, it, like, totally can keep a film from, like, having a, a, a coherent internal logic when you have all these fake Italian accents next to real Italian accents, and it's like, shouldn't all these people just be subtitled in the place? Like... Yeah, like the the problem with it is, you know, Michael Mann is a beloved o, capital A or shot that movie around for twenty years and couldn't get anybody to make it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I mean, Adam, yeah, it's... if you mentioned uh, Terry Gilliam earlier, it's weird how yeah. Adam Driver is like the magic green light your movie guy because he got uh, the uh, Don Quixote. Don Quixote, yeah. yeah, yeah. So as you, yeah, as you say, it's it's all about the name. They like that Adam Driver. They love him. Well, yeah. the other part of that, sorry, go the ahead. other part of that is the, uh, not only just in the sales, but also an exhibition, right? Like, mm. American audiences aren't going to go watch all but Italian people speaking Italian, you sure. know, unless there's somebody they know, probably. Yeah. Which is, again, the weird, wacky part of it. Well, also, it wouldn't be, be as big of a problem that movie didn't cost $95 million. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, in, in this movie, <laughs> yeah, that, you're not going to get Giuseppe Linguini to leave well, that one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's Ferrari's people in rooms mainly being anxious, so I, I truly don't understand why that movie... I mean, same thing with Colors of the Flower Moon. I mean, it, it it's a big expansive movie with movie stars cost $200 million. And I, I don't like, like a lot. It's the Barbie didn't cost that much for God's sake. You know? right? I mean, it's gotta be what well, Leo got 30 million for killers. Yeah. So that's part of it, but, but you wouldn't need that if you didn't have, have to, to yeah. whatever. Well, friend mentioned that with the killer because the killer had a pretty, ex- yeah, the killer was also budget like as well. 200 150, 200. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. Which I don't understand. I don't Netflix get it. Just checks. God. <laughs> well, I mean, a, a lot of it, as you you hear sometimes, is like, I mean, for instance, with uh, I, a good example for the killer, like that whole moped sequence that is a hyper photorealistic CGI sequence that you blink and you won't notice because they spent so much money 
on trying to make it look really good. And, and time and money are two totally different things, right? Like mm. I, I've heard it told to me. Uh, my understanding is the animation when it comes to CGI animators, time, not money. Uh, and But time does also equal money when it comes to film budgets. Mm-hmm. So there are the two are kind of inextricably linked. Um, do we want to talk about? Yes. <laughs> I, I was just thinking about Dinklage and like where he sits this and like speaking because he's he is sort of the, the one guy said, hey, guys, is there was something here? Well, yeah, it is squarely, defender, yeah. well, it is is here in like terms of like the name discourse there. There's not named actor of small stature when this gets made quite you know dinklage started showing up at you know death at a funeral uh i mean I michael j anderson's this. known sure know. like i mean dinklage he's not Gary Oldman. no he's not and he's not dinklage no at the, i like not a uh, dinklage now not dinklage in 2003 right you yeah. know he we don't have game of thrones and honestly like a I mean, huge body of work elf the same year as tip does right so i mean yeah. he's about to start yes he's, about to really he's been working but yes i mean he's got that that it's just a, 30, few, a 30 rock episode a few years after this too I yeah mean, i mean he's when, when when tiptoes cut dinklage is less than 10 years away from his name like being, being something being something yeah, yeah. yeah. so yeah. it's it's interesting to think about like davis like, levels of but i can't thing. even imagine even as much as he is a, like an advocate for people with dwarfism i can't imagine that he would want to do the like the little person issues movie at this point in his career mm-hmm. he's like in his 50s like oh he doesn't want to do that shit he wants to tell like i don't know interesting he's, he does make into like cyrano's a very interesting choice um i mean obviously he he doesn't do like a rom-com or something last yeah, year I was trying to remember. Hathaway or i don't think it was a rom that was uh rebecca miller right am i crazy oh, was that movie <laughs> i think that's right um it kind of doesn't doesn't exist she, anymore, already yeah yeah, right. yeah 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 yeah, he works, you know, and he he has like you know, pro- like picks projects. He didn't just mm-hmm. do anything, so it's it's interesting to think about like what a tiptoes looks like if it gets off the ground. You know, Cameron Bright does a bunch of other movies and comes back to this, and you know, after Game of Thrones, huge hit. What what? Uh, I, and we actually because the French accent's kind of a <laughs> you roll your eyes a little bit too. It's like surely we could have gotten a French dwarf for this, right? right? Like. And Dinklage, sure. Dinklage could have been Gary Oldman, but again, like I, you know, well, I mean, the Oldman, name, the name, and fine singing, as we've talked about, this does raise the question about you know acting in general here, sure. because I mean, obviously there are lines, and um, Oldman has crossed one of those lines, yeah. but fundamentally, acting is pretending to be somebody you're not. Otherwise, it's no longer acting; you're just you know filming someone on screen, mm-hmm. and and so. I mean, just it, I guess it's just worth saying, you know, sure. we, we, want, we want to be careful, you know, this, I, I can see this discourse going this weird direction where, what do you mean when I have somebody play a pilot? You need to have a pilot play the pilot, yeah. you know what I mean? I get what you're saying. Nobody's seen that, though. Yeah. Thank, thank fuck. And, well, but not somebody, yet. Not yet. And that is sort of the problem, ultimately, when you're trying to have these sorts of discourses. Is you you have to worry about people saying what about and the people saying well what about what abouts and mm-hmm, it's, it uh-huh. becomes a whole like discourse unto itself because people the backlash up against the backlash before yeah. it even started yeah like because the, people don't, don't like being told thing. what to do yeah <laughs> I think it's ultimately a big part part of it people yeah. do what they want to do and uh, they don't really care about other people's feelings sometimes mm-hmm. I mean uh, I mean that's the thing is people do need to be wise and make yeah. those kind of decisions and, and again think about hurting other people's feelings I mean that just should be a primary thing we would think of, you know, but well, and I think, I mean, this is going to sound like a crest joke. I think it was right after nine 11 is when they started shooting this. 
obviously the joke that there is, well, we were all dealing with it in our own different ways, but like Jack Nicholson doing anger management with Adam Sandler right after whatever. Mm-hmm. I can kind of almost see these actors wanting to get on board with this because it probably looks like this sort of feel good well sort of light comedy that's about things you know whatever and, and uh, it's time it's a kitchen sink movie yeah, yeah. And, and probably oldman would never do this now no i mean 2001 was probably 2002 about whenever they would have shot it, it is the, about the last time that realistically he could have like quote unquote gotten away with it um and yet in the 20 teens we've got um Eddie Redmayne getting an Oscar for playing. Uh, I almost said Alan Turing. <laughs> uh, Stephen Hawking. <laughs> sure. Uh, another British scientist. But it's just like, I, you know, so we learn our lesson to a point. Mm-hmm. And then we go, well, but, you know, it's Stephen, it's Stephen Hawking. We can just like have some British actors sitting in a chair because he wasn't always like that. Right. And I, and I have to think it's interesting that there may be a less offensive take on Oldman be cast here. If, if we had the longer version, spent more time with our little people, our actors, if, if, yeah, if they, they were less the butt of jokes, yeah, yeah. They, they, they more part of what's going on. Like there, there's a there, there might be and I'm not saying there is there might be a forgivable version, sure. you know, of this. There's one moment where like where uh i forget um rolf presents sort of what happened at sally's apartment to the um oh my god uh k back and her name though uh but anyway to, to, to k back and sell's character he's, he's he kind of like very much misrepresents what happened at sally's apartment and it's just like a weird beat that mm-hmm. really bothered me and never gets resolved and kind of speaks to, to rolf a couple of there's a couple moments of rolf's character that speak to that which i mean is good i'm 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 saying that that is kind of a boon to the film when we like want you know if we're trying to do films that increase you know representation and visibility you know you want to have people characters that act like real people that have sure. have flaws and have foibles. they're not yeah they're not all like angels on a pedestal yeah know? exactly but it is also like feels like one of those beats where it's like, like sally's like got her whole own life that we're not seeing and we just it's like two scenes and and slut shame the whole movie i was about to say the whole joke is like sally gets around and that's the joke i can almost see that that bit being like he shot the scene with beckinsale explaining what happened before they actually shot the scene at the apartment <laughs> and then when they get there they're like ah the producers are like ah comedy make it whatever you know yeah. and then it just looks insane. i mean there's a million it reasons well and also <laughs> fundamentally again i don't think i think matthew bright was ever going to be i mean it's like Todd Phillips taking on jokers or something. It's like, you're not the dude to, you know, be trying yeah. to, you're, you're too much edgelord, whatever. Uh, you, you know, I, I don't, I don't think it was ever going to be any that would have made sense, but there is a world in which I can see the, the production challenges of mm-hmm. this being so that, you know, that's why so much of the movie just doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. Our, um, other big th- threads we'd want to touch on the movie. I mean, I guess we could just simply talk about the sort of the last scene. <laughs> we, yeah. I, got, I got one with uh, Dinklage's character, okay, uh, and sort of his Marxism and his sort of distaste for you know um, appeasement uh, for uh, respectability politics, mm-hmm. which is sort of interesting. You know, not com- the, one of the, the communities ones. that we're part of are not usually part of this conversation. Uh, uh, you know, but yeah, exactly, being one of the good ones and, and just sort of. This idea of trying to of marginalized communities fighting for visibility and for safety and being forced into roles that maybe you know you know what I'm trying to say just like mm-hmm. being forced into boxes and and just this idea of like well, well just be nice you know to a culture that like demeans and does violence to you right um, 
It sucks. But he's also wildly misogynistic as a he's character. So, oh, he's a well. terrible. Like, he's a she Marxist. Yeah. I mean, he's it, wildly it, misogynistic. Well, it, yeah. it fundamentally doesn't make sense. Like on the page, the character. Yeah. And that's most of the character. You know, we can say all we want about the performances, but the character aren't really written in a way that really makes sense. Unless you're, again, doing this kitchen sink thing where it's like, he's going to be a Marxist and he's going to be French, but he's also going to kind of hate women and be a dick to that. You know, well, he's addicted to morphine, you know, is one of the yeah, things that they yeah. really don't play that out. I mean, this is part of his problem is his, yeah. his addiction is part of what's going on with whatever yeah. broken in him there's a, there's a name drop by the way I'm, I'm mixing a drink that just happens to have a morphine you know cherry flavored morphine uh, yeah. cough syrup or whatever yeah. thrown in with a oh yeah a cognac, cognac, cognac or, or, or something yeah. yeah well and I don't know if this is like there's a larger medical issue here because McConaughey talks about you know people of short stature dealing with physical pain and she's like well there's medicine for that he's like yeah morphine like yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. opiates like, like yeah so that's it. It it, cre- it brings in the question: Is something like TLC's Little People Big World almost a better vehicle for empathy for people of small stature than something like Tiptoes? Yes, right. As exploitative as reality TV generally is, just presenting people going about their business and showing you how they live their lives in a world that's not designed for them. Like, I think you're right. I think that just that the you know, the nature of like viewership in a sort of a more documentary setting than a narrative setting, like mm-hmm. kind of creates this, this voyeuristic angle that is a, a welcome to voyeurism of, of some kind that I think changes everything. And again, if you don't have a f- fucking act, well, <laughs> something, I, there may be more of that again in the longer version of the film. Sure, you know? I mean, I'm true. trying to give bright all the possible, you mm-hmm. know, benefit of the doubt mm-hmm. I can. Well, I guess we can evaluate tiptoes as it exists and yeah, we and just say it's not Bright's fault. Yeah. You know, we just, you know, whatever. It's not all his fault. There you go. Sure. Yeah. You, go. yeah. You, you had something you wanted to bring up? I, I might have. I think I may have lost it by now. Ah. Well, it's probably unimportant. Let's render a verdict, shall we? Yeah, sure. What do we do? Shelf or trash, Arthur? Yeah, I've got to put it in the trash. I mean, it is, it is what it is. All right. What do you say, Dalton? Shelf it's or trash? A, it's a stinker. I don't know what you want from me. It's in the trash. Nicholas. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Does the advent of streaming over the last few years kind of screw up the premise of the show, or does it oh, yeah, help we, it we, in some way? We don't. We don't. Yeah, know. Yeah. We, we, we have Am I going to be like a ah, shelf? And not necessarily. In my mind, it's going on some sort of Library of Congress shelf in a bunker. We're it protecting ain't going it the from the Congress, buddy. I know, but you know, <laughs> when we put something on the shelf, we're assuming it's protected from the end of the internet, right? We're we're trying to yeah. save it for posterity's sake, uh, and then maybe stream is something I, in the middle. That's <laughs> what I would do. I, yeah. Like, I believe this thing needs to be seen. It needs to be discussed. It needs to be thought about deeply, deeply, deeply. Would I ever own it? Probably. Would I suggest <laughs> other people own it? I don't think I could. But I would stream it. It needs to be seen. If anything, because Matthew McConaughey's nipples look cookie dough bites, and it's, <laughs> it's just it's a lot of it's a lot of movie. Uh, I th- you know what, Nick, you you've turned me around. Stream it, yeah. I I, I will I will go with you. Go for that. Yeah, I'll go for that. I think it's it's definitely not a trash, but a stream. Well, if nothing else, I mean, you surely like a bunch of couch parties. Yeah. People are. Nail bogging this. And yeah, trust me. The funnest part of the movie is when Kate Beckinsale says an ableist slur like a dozen times in a row. <laughs> Matthew McConaughey says not to say. Yeah, it. he keeps telling her, "Don't say it." The four-minute four PSA in the middle of the movie. You know, I don't care about that. It's like a very like late '90s. Like I don't care about PC culture. Mess. It's very funny how these things are cyclical. You know. 
But then by the end of the movie, she's she's, she's I mean, one who's learning about it. Well, and God, trying well, to, you're right. And that's like, the thing. Like, God, and, and so there was probably scene of her, you know, yeah. Kind at, of a, at, a, at a park bench, you know, looking across the street, like, you know. We didn't even get to talk about how this man, like, fully abandons his family rather than going to therapy. <laughs> how she ends up in a relationship with his brother, maybe. <laughs> There's so much movie we haven't even fucking scratched. Yeah, it's There's, so wild. We could do two hours on this, no problem. Yeah, it's, yeah. I can't believe you're going to stream it now, though. I'm for both of you. I, I, yeah, I, I think I, I would. I, I would want to see it. You don't want to forget about 9/11. You can't forget about tiptoes. <laughs> How many times can I invoke 9/11 on this episode of the show? It's something we love to do. You know? <laughs> um, forget. Oh man, never forget. Well, Dalton, um, I'm sure we're wrong. And about everything. Yeah. Um, can you tell the listeners how they can tell us we're all wrong? Yeah, if I have a strongly worded email to send after this episode, I can, can imagine you have your reasons. Nick uh, underscore Sanford at gmail.com. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, broadcast is pictures. No, uh, no good tra- genre cast at gmail.com for all your long form feedback. Let us know what you think about tiptoes or anything else that we've talked about recently. Uh, that's good trash genre cast at gmail.com. Uh, you can follow all of us on Letterboxd. Uh, you know, search our first and last names. You should be able to find us. But, uh, you know, we're around the Internet. We're not really posting from the show's accounts anymore. But we're uh, good trash media on most of the, the Internet. If you want to find us, uh, we have a website. So there's some cool written content there. Mm-hmm. That's goodmedia.com If you want to find that last, but certainly not least, you can go to patreon.com forward slash GTM find out what's in it for you things like picking a movie for us to discuss on this very show uh, a thing that only happens if you host the show or know one of the hosts really well uh how well i don't know be my nephew's dad maybe you'll get to pick a movie of the show <laughs> to be fair i never picked no, this. To be fair, was... arthur picked this and then, and then said hey i heard you it like was, it. yeah it is gizmo it is i know <laughs> i just like to i uh i always tell people about the patreon perk of picking a movie for the show but there is of course this gray area of people who have picked movies for the show without giving us money that i i, I feel like i need knowledge uh Anything else to plug? Well, we do have this little uh, this little gentleman sitting right here who makes films. Nick, you got anything uh, you want to tell people about that uh, they can see? I got a stupid Bigfoot comedy that's on Tubi and Amazon called Elusive that you can watch. Uh, I do a podcast that for now is called Serious Storytime Talk. I don't know how much longer that title will last, but that's what it is for now. Uh, yeah, and I'm on Instagram as well. You can also write me fan mail at 1600 South Pennsylvania Avenue, Washington, D.C. Um, that's not it for me. All right. Well, there you have it. There's our plugs and our guests' plugs. Arthur, we're going to talk about something better than this next week, right? Presumably. Oh, God. Uh, next week. Marginally. Our, uh, our Valentine's double feature continues. Uh, when we take a look at a little romance called I Love You, Philip Morris. Can't wait. I love this movie. You consider Tiptoes one half of the Valentine's <laughs> That's right. Rom- romance. Hey, what do you find out what my host pick is? <laughs> That's how we spell love here. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we're having a weird February. <laughs> that sounds great. You guys, we'll, you keep watching, we'll keep talking, and we'll see you all the next time. <laughs>